0: what it means to be one of the sector's critically important, yet least understood roles, while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Here's your host, author, fundraiser, and master trainer, Jason Lewis.
1: Hi, podcast listeners. My name is Jason Lewis, and I am your host for the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I do want to thank our sponsor, QBAC. There's a big difference between a solution that measures a fundraiser's performance and a solution that helps a fundraiser perform. QBAC helps fundraisers to excel at their most critical task, developing deep, meaningful relationships with donors and cultivating them into lifelong givers. Give your fundraisers a better qualified portfolio, one that considers more than just capacity and simple scoring. Your fundraisers will also get insights into the hearts, minds, and connections of their donors. Fundraisers have a tough job. Help them close bigger gifts in less time by going to www.qback.com to schedule a free demo. Podcast listeners, the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow is finally back on the schedule. We have several dates confirmed. Since 2014, our team has been providing high-quality one-day roadshows in partnership with nonprofit leaders who want to showcase their space and provide thought-provoking and highly interactive fundraising training in their nonprofit community. Our roadshows have been described by our guests as hands down the best professional development experience that they have ever been a part of. This experience has been described as challenging assumptions with conversation-inspiring content and new ways of thinking. If if you would like to register for one of the upcoming stops on the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow, just visit the link in the show notes. Hi, Catherine. I am delighted to have you back as my guest on the Fundraising Talent Podcast. You and I have gotten to know each other. You're, you're a repeat guest. We were just trying to figure out when it was. We're gonna we're gonna guess you were probably in the early two hundreds, probably in the thick of the pandemic when we were going on overdrive with podcast conversations because. Quite frankly, some of us didn't have as much to do, so <laughs> we weren't we weren't hopping on airplanes and and uh, and. We had a lot more free time at home, so um, I'm glad to have you back, Catherine. It sounds like we've got some in, a pretty intense conversation to be had about some research that you've continued to work on. Because I know you've been doing, you know, one of the things I really looked why I was looking forward to this conversation today. I described you to somebody else. I said, I said, Catherine is a practitioner and and sort of an academic all in one, right? And um, and I so I've really enjoyed the previous conversation. I'm glad to have you back. Catherine, how about we ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners?
2: Yes, thank you, Jason. Um, So I'm Catherine Dilworth. I have been a fundraiser for over 20 years, maybe I should start saying over 25 years. But for the last um, several years, I've kind of turned to the academic side. Um, did a PhD in philanthropy and started doing research and teaching. And now I am at Purdue University in the Honors College, and I'm a professor of practice for philanthropy. So I really bring that applied piece and work with students who are interested in doing this work and also just understanding philanthropy a little more, even if they're pursuing other careers.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's that that's why I like you, Catherine, because you're uh you've committed, like you said, two decades of work to the nonprofit sector and to fundraising in particular. But you're a lot like myself and others that I'm uh that I like to sort of gravitate towards and have conversations with who are kind of asking some tough questions and sort of examining maybe if some of the foundations on which we built this profession need to be um, you know, stirred up a little bit, right? Does that sound about right?
2: It does, and you know, when I got into um, reading research on philanthropy, I didn't find a whole lot on fundraisers and fundraising. Um, you know, there's so many ways you can plug into philanthropy, so many different lenses. But that was really how I got started: is noticing we need to um, do a little bit more research and share a little bit more information about that particular role in philanthropy and. And then, you know, I was noticing that sometimes the questions that were asked um, around fundraising, especially, um, didn't really align with the experience of it, which can sometimes happen. You know, I mean, practitioners are busy raising money and um, they don't necessarily have time to lend their voice. But that's been something that I'm really interested in just focusing on Fundraisers and what it's like to be in that profession, and um, you know, and how right now I'm really interested in how they're doing.
1: <laughs> yeah, so Catherine, you know this. We ask our guests to come on here with a big idea or bold opinion. It sounds like you've sort of started to tee that up, um, and I know we're going to talk about some research that you're doing for my guests. I mean, my listeners. We're going to put some information in the show notes so that you can actively. Uh, We're going to fast-track this conversation, Catherine, and get this produced. Matt's going to help me produce this pretty quickly, and we're going to uh, get this up on the air so that you can get as much engagement as possible. Catherine, what's that big idea or bold opinion you got for us today?
2: Okay, well, the first part of it's kind of familiar, and that is, are fundraisers happy in their jobs? We've seen some really fabulous studies come out recently. The Chronicle of Philanthropies featured some, and um, there's a great one that really focuses on sexual harassment out of um, the Ohio State University. And what I'm asking as a second question to my, are fundraisers happy in their jobs, is if they aren't, is bullying a factor?
1: Bullying, that's a big word. I mean, it's a little, it's, yeah, that's a, that's a, I remember bullying being talked. It was so, so you and I are about the same age and, you know, bullying was something that I think we're that last generation that sort of maybe parents and schools and everybody sort of tolerated it. It was sort of part of that self-esteem movement and all that sort of thing. But as my, as my wife and I got married and we had children, you know, we bullying became something that we took a little bit more seriously Um And Catherine, I have to say, I think you're the first person, I'm sure other people have used it, but I don't know that I've heard anyone else apply that question to the fundraising profession in particular. So um, I I get the first question. We don't have to unravel that quite so much yet, but unravel that second question for me some more.
2: Well, sadly, this is a quickly growing area of research across disciplines, not so much in our discipline, but um when you i of course have a million google searches because i'm building bibliographies and most of it is in the field of healthcare which is pretty devastating and a lot of it focused on nurses and their experience in the workplace so i have the benefit of some really great um models for doing this research and um they've been you know developed in these other ways but but i'm noticing more and more bullying research coming into higher ed for example, not specifically fundraisers um, and people working in advancement necessarily, but it's really across the board. And, um, you know, I think it's something that started to really blow up during the pandemic. And and I've wondered if maybe it was the stress of how do we manage our employees in this, you know, virtual environment. And, and also, I think, we were all having, experiencing a lot of anxiety. So it seemed to really blow up as a topic. I don't know if that means it increased, you know, the activity, the behavior increased, or we were just at home and, you know, we were on LinkedIn and we were sharing things and experiencing this. But I have been kind of talking about, uh, Kind of fundraiser abuse uh, in many ways, just on LinkedIn, just kind of feeling things out for the last few years. I've experienced it myself in this work it's, so of course it that it was on the front of my mind kind of wondering how prevalent it was. but I've had tremendous response just from blog posts and just kind of bringing it up as a topic and I started to realize that it really could be a factor and I, I just wanted to test that.
1: So I'm guessing someone like yourself, sort of, because this is not this is not a differentiation that I've. I mean, I get the notion of bullying, and I get the notion of sexual harassment, for example, and there's a myriad of different sort of abuses that I'm sure we see in the workplace and other places. But differentiate for me um, the distinction between, say, just those two concepts, but also, uh, um, I'm guessing this is primarily Catherine, an in and I'm having this conversation with a number of guests recently, I'm guessing this is sort of an internal conversation. So are we necessarily talking about, I'm asking two questions. This will keep you going here. Um, <laughs> different The differentiating between the other abuses that we sort of experience in the workplace. But is this an internal conversation? By that, I mean, are we really sort of starting to wrestle with and need to be more, maybe maybe more focused on, the internal problems that we have within organizations, the relationship between fundraisers and the boards and bosses, and perhaps we're not talking so much about the behavior of, of say, major donors. Am I right?
2: Well, you know, I I asked that question, and there uh, one of the questions in there is kind of who um, Who's doing who are it? you experiencing this with? And, and I have early findings, you know, I've, I've not yet had a hundred people uh, participate uh-uh. in this study, but we're getting close to that. And it is overwhelmingly supervisors. And so, yeah. you know, I think that's something that anecdotally um, we've, we've kind of bandied around now. This is not, you know, we don't know if this is the final answer, but, um, but I, On some of the previous studies, this is where I really nuanced this study where, um, you know, instead of asking a question, uh, say, for example, sexual harassment, which is a form of bullying, I used some scales, well-developed scales, and used their questions and adapted them for our environment. So it's really helpful because this study that, that, that we're doing, it Kind of explains what bullying is as it's asking questions, and I think that's really important because you know bad behavior um, can have a lot of different names, <laughs> and we can you know call it different things, and we can value it differently as well. So this is kind of the scientific uh, definitions, and it's um, I mean, kind of the the there's just a lot of ways you can be bullied. It can be an emotional, it can be physical, but then there are other questions that ask, that give um, specific examples. And so it's kind of like, select all of these things, you know, that may have happened. Were you, did you have your ideas taken away? You know, were you made to feel like you weren't valued? You know, that questions like that. So, so people have a lot of options. So it's really about not just were you bullied, but and what what form does it take in our profession? Um, I have a question in there asking if um, quantitative metrics are used as a tool to bully, and actually, I'm not getting the response that I thought. That was a, my hypothesis; would have been that it is, but it's not as prevalent um, as other other forms of bullying. And um, so, you know, it's just been it's been very interesting. But i I will say that uh, the, there are many, many, the percentages are very high for bullying. Um, one of the reasons why I want to promote the study at all is because I, it also is a study for people who've never been bullied and I really want them to take it as well because there, there's plenty of opportunity to go through the whole thing and say, nope, never happened, never happened, you know, and I want that because we need that information to find out how common it is. Is it just the people who've suffered who are taking, you know, participating in my study, for example.
1: Yeah. I mean, I got to be, you know, I'll I'll be completely transparent here. A lot of people know who I am. I mean, I'm a six foot five, nearly 300 pound guy um, who, uh, you know, the the notion of physical bullying seems a little, you know, I don't know that I have been bullied in a long time. I, I, my parents would certainly say that I was bullied around um, as a kid. But um, I I would not – I would be that person that you're describing who would probably say, no, I don't think I've ever um, been on the receiving side of bullying. Um, But I guess I could – if I sort of take away that physical – that assumption when I – because I sort of correlate – I relate bullying with more of like physical – uh, mm. physical treatment, but it sounds like you're talking about emotional abuse and you're talking about even the way that we evaluate performance. Um, yeah. Like, like, so we're talking of, and I've said this on the podcast many, many times, probably said it with you. I have, lar- I have always been of the opinion that fundraising has a, Supervisor problem right now than we have a fundraiser problem. You know, this question of, um, you and I are reading the same articles in the Chronicle recently, you know, published its latest article that said that, you know, we can't find fundraisers. And I'm like, I think there's plenty of fundraisers out there. And I think there's even more people who are perfectly capable of fundraising, but we're not creating environments where these people can thrive. And I'm guessing that research like you're trying to, uh, you know, conduct and, and impart wisdom with, um, is is with the aim of trying to create those kind of thriving environments. Am I right?
2: It is. And, you know, it's just, you don't think about your, the way you described it is so typical. Um, you know, it's kind of like the bully in the schoolyard and he beats you up. But, yeah. um, but bullying can be very subtle. And sometimes those are like the most successful bullies out there. Just things like using the silent treatment, disregarding your work, spreading rumors, you know, singling you out, these little, um, you know, making false accusations. These are some of the options that that people have, um, all the way to yelling, you know, yelling at you, embarrassing you, accusing you of things you haven't done. and And so we're starting to understand bullying in a much bigger way, where You know, it's really customized. The form can be customized to the bully, and the bully can customize to figure out that one thing that's really going to mess you up. But the outcome is just this feelings of dread, feelings of fear. I just can't, oh my gosh. You know, I've had individuals uh, describe their bullying experience at fundraisers specifically, and just like, oh my gosh, I hear the ding on my. Oh look, and I, my whole, I tense up. I'm just like, oh, let please don't let it be them, you know. And, um, you know, I what I'm not testing yet, and of course, what I'm interested in is going, you know, if this turns out that it is mostly supervisors, you know, I want to get in and find out a little bit more about them to to find out, you know, what's going on there that that they may see that as a as a as an option for management, and you know there's certainly a lot of research already on yeah you can you can get people to kind of work better and have better results if you're yelling at them all the time um but, but they don't want to stick around <laughs> you know um and i and really you know the other thing that's that's a very interesting kind of thing to consider with all of this is this is philanthropy of all places this is where you know we're we're Guiding people towards private action for a public good. We're building these relationships with our donors and with you know people who are who are involved in our organization. And of all places for it to be toxic, uh, which is of all the reasons that fundraisers so far in my study want to leave uh, their organization, and and most do the number one reason is a toxic environment. So really, we're asking these professionals to go out and, you know, kind of build these trusting, often very, you know, these strong affections for donors and really help them do something that's really meaningful to others and to them themselves, uh, taking, taking this action, participating in philanthropy, and then treated badly at work. So I don't think anyone deserves to be treated badly at work. Um, but it is ironic <laughs> that it happens um you know doing this work,
1: so what is okay so you've you've had some responses, and sounds like you have anecdotal responses, and I think um in order to afford our listeners some um Let's just make this compelling, because I know that when you reached out, you said, you know, you want to get some more engagement in this particular research. And I think what might be particularly compelling for our listeners to hear is perhaps some of the anecdotal examples of what you're hearing. Um, Even myself, as I, you know, I spent. I think sixteen years actually on the payroll, working for organizations working for boards and bosses, raising money, and I'm thinking, okay, can you know what so what are the some of the stories? I'm guessing you can share some of these stories, obviously not disclosing personal information, but what kind of stuff are you hearing?
2: So you know a lot of what there's two things I'm hearing the most with fundraisers mm-hmm. it's either just straight up using aggression to manage and to encourage. Fundraisers to work at a at a steady pace and to and to successfully bring in dollars. It's kind of that more what you would think of as more bullying, like get out there. That's not good enough, you know. This kind of thing and just just this really aggressive approach. And the other most common thing I'm hearing has more to do with just um, a lack of understanding about how fundraising works on behalf of leadership or a supervisor and that form. Is just a fundraiser has nothing to go with, but they're given this huge, um, you know, kind of goal, and they're and the supervisor says, "I don't want to know. I don't want to know how this is done or anything. Just go do it." So those are kind of the two most common things I'm hearing. And of course, the this is not the survey results because it's it's a survey. It's quantitative. These are just kind of discussions that. that I'm having with fundraisers who will follow up, for example, and who've followed up from some of my posts. So it's, it's either, I don't have any resources to do this. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, this kind of is more common in smaller nonprofits. And then kind of some of the bigger ones are just like, oh my gosh, I'm just so stressed out. Like I'm just getting this constant, you know, contact of how do you, how many calls did you make? How did you do this? You know, um, so just kind of being really controlling and really aggressive
1: i tend to be of the opinion that part of the problem that we have in fundraising is that we and most people have heard me say this or write about it is that we bring expectations from the marketplace we bring expectations for the marketplace we think that the donor and the consumer are one and the same we think we're doing sales we're closing deals but what that oftentimes translates into, and you and I have had, I think, this conversation either either on the podcast before or in our, our own exchanges on LinkedIn, for example, um, is the pressure. Right? It's the pressure of the boss or the boss's boss or the high, you know, the high, the, the sort of from 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 on high sort of filters down. Um, when I was a gift officer, gift officer in Washington, I remember there were you know, three or four people, at least above my head. And I was the guy out in the field doing the major gift soliciting, for example. Um, is that some of the, is that some of what's creating this? Is this pressure and then we sort of snap and the the boss or the board just, I mean, it it sort of causes that because, because I have to say that I think sales environments from the marketplace are probably one of those places where if we tested it and we surveyed people they might ex- might have a lot of examples and experiences of pretty much similar behavior. Am I right?
2: We very well could. And, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, fundraising is is a high, it's a high stress, high activity job. I mean, I think those of us who've been in it a while, we've, we've seen colleagues come in who are just, I can't handle any of the stress of it. And it's like, okay, this is really not for you. So I'm not saying that it isn't stressful. Of course, you want to hit your goals. You want to fund these things that are really important um, or just keep the lights on sometimes. I mean, so fundraisers, I'm not saying that there can't be stress. Because that that's that's a stress kind of job. Um, it's exciting too, you know. So it's up and down, like oh my gosh, I have to do this, and then yay, look at you know, look at what I've done. But this is different. This is really just about using negative tactics to compel you to do your job, you know. And there's plenty of there's plenty of arguments out there that a positive work environment will help you do your job. Do you still need a supervisor? Of course you do. I mean, this is a goal focused job. This is not just like, oh, you know, come on in and have a great day. And if you feel like going and talking to someone about a gift, then that's great. No, I mean, so so this study is really focusing on the egregious side of of that, where it's you're, you're doing your job because you're afraid now, because you're afraid to be found out you know, to not be working hard enough or not be making enough calls. It's not just about the general stress of a uh, arguably yeah, yeah. high stress yeah, well, role.
1: Right. But we all get stressed and, and all all sorts of works. And you're talking about research, for example, in the nursing I mean, healthcare is a high stress work. I mean, you know, there's there's lots of stressful and, and rightfully stressful. I mean, stress is a natural part of our work. But I think what um and and now I'm sort of, as I'm reminding myself and recalling our earlier conversations, I think you and I are very much on the same page as sort of some of this, it, It's it's the predictability, it's the assumption where I think the pressure comes from is the assumption from the boards and the bosses that we can predict outcomes in this work that we can't actually do. And I, I seem to recall you and I having some conversations about the, wealth, the practices of well screening. And I know our, our firm is one of those firms that's adamantly opposed to that sort of practice of basically, you know, gathering information about our donors, which then feeds into the minds of the boards and the bosses, the supervisors who think, oh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith can give us X number of dollars because we've seen it on their credit check. And then that pressure translates down into this bullying like behavior on Sally or Jane or Joe, who's taking people out to lunch. I don't care how much money they've got in the bank. You can't know it's not going to happen in that sort of very linear, predictable sort of way. And I would think that bullying is sort of that awful of human behavior that has a way of manifesting itself in the midst of all that. Am I right? We're creating these environments that are highly conducive to the worst of who we are as human beings is what I'm getting at. Am I right? I
2: think, I, I think <laughs> you're onto something and and I, and I your example is actually one that I've not thought about, but obviously there's something going on in the environment. And so what you're describing is these these kind of progressions, you know, that are handed to mostly probably, you know, boards are often made up of cor- people from the corporate side of the house. Yeah. And they yeah. read that, not, not recognizing or acknowledging that there's no product here that anyone's yeah. selling. You know, no one goes home with anything. They go home with less, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. That it's a totally, totally different sell, because yes. it, it, you know, and, and so, so I think that I, I I'm going to think about this and, uh, because my next thing is, Hmm, um, you're giving me ideas, but, but <laughs> you're right. That, that could very well re- result in a board. And it's like, you lazy fundraiser. We've got this right here in front of our faces. We can see it. This is supposed to result in this way and you're not doing it. So you're clearly not doing your job. And uh, I I think that could be a very I mean, real I, example.
1: I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you and I could just go on about this for for because you're doing the research, and I'm sitting here reading, you know, in my own writing, trying to make and 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 thinking through the the hundreds of conversations we've had here on the podcast. And I have just become staunchly of the opinion that early 20th century fundraising practices are rooted in market the assumption that 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 it's all that we can just sort of mimic the marketplace. Well when you have producers and consumers and we assume ourselves as the producers with something to sell to our consumers it becomes this sort of competitive marketplace like environment which is not conducive for gift exchange you know it's a difference between selling a you know the this widget in my hand and closing a deal today because you place a certain amount of value on this product versus a gift exchange that's rooted in genuine relationship and the trust and rapport that exists between two human beings. Um, I mean, you and I have never exchanged anything monetarily or physically or any sort of way, but we have taken the time to develop rapport and trust and familiarity to the place where if you and I were in the room, we could exchange gifts. I could buy you lunch, you could buy me dinner, something like that. That's more consistent with actually what fundraising is. But we've taken all these wrong assumptions, and I think that's actually where some of this this stuff that you're zeroing in on – I don't know. You've got me on my soapbox now. How how much further down the road are we going to go before we have people like yourself who are talented, experienced fundraisers who also decide to go down the academic route and start researching their unfortunate experiences like you or any of us have had in the workplace and are going to start saying, hey – Our expertise is all wrong. No, this isn't the way it's not supposed to work like the market. I'm not your damn salesperson peddling your products coming back with a check.
2: Well, and the funny thing about it is, you know, I just I've kind of seen this happen over the last 20 years um, of my career. But this kind of change towards this kind of these progressions and doing well screenings and I've also moved – I moved into higher ed out of smaller organizations that couldn't afford to do that. that. But you're you're just trying to run up against a well-established theory, which is gift theory. And I mean it's human nature, and it's not even really – always conscious it's <clears throat> that you someone does something for you and you just want to do something for them you know it's just like it, it's part of our how we're built so that we can build you know community and societies and things like that so to just decide that you just don't like that and so you're just going to do it differently is is just absurd and these this type of engagement requires trust and 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 interaction and And getting, it doesn't, it's not even about friends, you know, on the, in the professional realm, although often you do become friends, but it's not even that kind of thing. It's just like, I trust you to help me know what, what I need to do with this money. Here are my interests. You're kind of my guide. I trust you that you're going to help me kind of do the right thing um, with, with what I want to do in philanthropy. And when you make them just numbers. It's just ironic because, you know, then we get on the stewardship side and it's like, oh, we'll just, we need to just let them do whatever they want. Let's just let, you know, so they get kind of free reign, they being in the minds of kind of these same supervisors. It just let them do whatever they want. Well, you're, it's all about them now on this end, but before they were just a number. And actually, if you'd let us build a trust together, we'd be doing what's actually wonderful for them and exactly what our organization needs and not have them kind of controlling you know it all so that's kind of it just it, it it's it doesn't make sense just in terms of how humans engage with each other and when you're doing philanthropy that's such a heart centered activity i don't care if it's a financial tool to someone when they get started it's heart-centered once they get, <laughs> once they get into it. They, it feels good to do good things.
1: Well, part of what we want to do is stir up the audience today to engage in your research so that you can validate, perhaps validate your opinions and my opinions. We're not trying to necessarily uh, prove anything here today. Am I right?
2: Well, but you bring up a good point. I mean, what drives research? And certainly having been in the sector, I'm at a point in my life where I'm like, I'm asking every question that I I wondered, and I may find that I was not right, you know, with my opinion. Um, But I am interested in this. And I really just think this is a huge gap in research and philanthropy. I mean, No, it's a, I'm just going to wax poetic a little bit, but I really do think about fundraisers as the bridge. I mean, it, it doesn't happen. I I don't care if you're a fundraiser who has no training and, and, you know, doesn't even know what they're doing. You're still that bridge. You're still bridging that donor who you're visiting with to the organization. And it's those of us who've been in it a while, we experience it that way, whether Whether our organization knows that that's what we're doing, or the donor knows what we're doing, we feel it. We feel that we're bringing that case for giving this this need, and 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 seeing if it sticks, and looking for what does you know, and how how to how to support the mission, and it we without us it doesn't happen. And why is no one really looking at us, (laughs) you know, and and it's time to really. Go in this direction that a lot of a lot of professions are, which is, you know, kind of let's establish how this work is supposed to be done. I mean, we certainly do a lot of research on the back end, like what works? What are donor motivations? How many times can someone be asked, you know, before they're going to give all, all, all this kind of stuff that we get a lot from from these kind of corporate tools? Um, but but what is the experience and what should the experience be? Because we, when we get to a point in our career where we're doing our job well, we are doing a very compl- complicated job mm-hmm. um, that that requires a lot of intuition and also a lot of knowledge. And um, so that's kind of why I feel like taking a lot of time, you know, kind of in this area. And the fact that just in my Early stages of a survey that has, you know, eighty something responses. They the the responses are overwhelmingly that they are unhappy in their job. Oh, I believe. That. You know,
1: I, I, I I'm reflecting on Leslie Alborough's research when she was she. Uh, you may know Leslie. Um, she was at the University of Kent, and her paper her. Uh, dissertation basically came to the conclude this notion of the fundraiser being that bridge, to use your term, the bridge, she's talking about how the role of the fundraiser is largely that of a mediator of the gift. You're mediating a gift exchange between an organization. The, you're basically mediating a process between beneficiary and benefactor. But if you look at her research you can see it. I mean, just in the sort of the preliminary uh, description of what Leslie talks about, you can see the same language that if you read right between the lines, there's the, the concern of donor dominance, the concern of bullying, the concern that boards and bosses don't know what the hell they're doing. And then what, what a person like yourself is doing is you're taking it a step further and you're asking those questions. You know, you're taking, you know, some of the Some of the stuff that she's sort of articulating about the fundraising process, you're on the other side of it and saying, uh, when when this process breaks down, what's the experience? We say it responsive. One of the things we're constantly saying is that the fundraising experience should be meaningful for those on both sides of the exchange. Right. The person on the receiving side and the giving side essentially should be experiencing a very meaningful and uplifting experience. And what I'm hearing from you and just the preliminary results you've got, people aren't saying they're getting that, are they?
2: They're not. And, you know, if we can really get good evidence for what the fundraiser experience is, what it needs to be to be successful, then we get to unpack that kind of go in and and backwards the engineering you know mm-hmm. and develop management models that are not only effective but ethical yep. you know and so that's really where i think the long term power is in this investigation because that's what fundraisers seem to really need is better management better management better resources they're willing to do this work that how many of our friends have said to us, I would never go ask anyone for money, but we enjo- you know, we, that's our work. That's what we enjoy. We get a lot out of it. How can we be managed in a way that, that makes us want to stay at our organization and that, that makes us successful in our job? And we can't create that model until we know, until we have this evidence. So, you know, how many, how many training, um, you know, organizations out there talk specifically about how you manage your fundraisers. I mean, there's a lot about how to be a good nonprofit leader.
1: Is it just, is it just the, is this just the, is this just the burden of, cause you and I are about the same age. We've committed the same, you and I, you and I have both committed our entire professional career to this particular field of work. And we've got the same timeline for the most part. And I just wonder if our burden, our generation of, fundraising professionals of leaders whatever you know thought leaders whatever you want to call us um is is sort of just this cleanup and remove and moving away from some of the warm and fuzzy assumptions about how this really works it's you're right it's complicated it's complex difficult messy human to human sort of work we have historically done it in an arm's length in order to avoid that but as you know As our mailboxes and inboxes get bombarded with more and more appeals, we're going to have to engage with our donors in more meaningful ways. And consequently, we're going to have to, the warm and fuzzy, the the assumptions that this is just warm and fuzzy stuff is going to have to go out the window. It's not warm and fuzzy. It's not easy. No,
2: no, it's not easy. And and I think the this idea that we can just automate it is is just yes, right. really behind a lot of <laughs> these challenges. It's it's completely and utterly customized. It is about human beings wanting to do something for others, and there's another human being in the form of fundraiser there as well. So their approach is customized to them, and the, I mean, it just it is it's a it's a relationship.
1: There's the quote you know. of the, there's the quote of the day. I mean and and let's add to that. Let's build on that. It's uh, what do you say? It's utterly and completely customized. Customized. <laughs> and I would say let's take that to another degree and say that the to the extent that your expectations and as the expectations increase, that becomes more and more true, right? I mean, if you're going to do it in an arms length and all you're asking for Mr. and Mrs. Smith to give you is $100, Sure, you can avoid that all you want, but as your expectations of that donor go higher, um, and generally, if, and, and, and unrestricted, because that's what a lot of us are saying is, is that donors need to be more and more willing to be more gracious, more generous, in faster time, and more unrestricted. That's going to mean a greater burden on the fundraiser to invest in high context, meaningful relationships. And damn it, if your board, if your boards and your bosses are bullies. It ain't gonna work.
2: Well, and you know, throw us a bone. Like, here's another thing: <laughs> invest in a in a highly functioning communications enterprise. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's kind of like they, these are these areas, you know that that aren't kind of a priority. But this, okay, so we're trying to reach a lot of people. So we're trying, we're trying these appeals and things like that. Well, if we have a good strategy and skill with that. Boy, you can do a video that's either really witty or, you know, or really just like, whoa, and and just like get a get a long way yeah. with that. Like, yeah, I'll have a conversation. I didn't know you guys were doing that. That's amazing. Um, and that doesn't happen either. So that's I think what's coming in with the fundraiser saying, I don't have the resources. They have to be everything. They have to define the mission, sell the mission help people understand why that matters to them like all of that that entire job is often the job of the fundraiser and so these are other ways that um you can help set a foundation but you know it's hard uh, it's hard to to get organizations to invest in things like that that maybe don't have an exact measurement right how do we know if that video really how much did that video raise us well we can't answer that question but Ask the fundraiser if it came up in the discussion.
1: <laughs> Catherine, you can keep me going. You can keep me getting, I could keep getting hotter and hotter, but we're going to lose our, we always lose our guests at about 45 minutes in. Um, Apple has this way of telling us when our, when our, uh, when our listeners arrive at work or wherever they check out on, check out on us or whatever. Um, I want to wrap this up with just the question of um, where do you think this is, wh- what do you think the outcomes are going to be? you know that's that's something that I'm sure you've already had to propose in a number of sort of settings um and I'm sure you've been asked that where do you think that what are, what are some of your assumptions about where this is going to arrive at and then and then remind us and we're going to put all this information in the show notes so people can access it but remind us of essentially what you're asking our listeners to do um, and we certainly want to ask our listeners to help spread the word about this research, so that we can just sort of give a a, a bump up on the uh, the type of data that you're because uh, you, the more the more data you've got to work with, the better. Am I right?
2: Absolutely. And so, thank you so much. So, how do how do I think this is going to end up? I think we're going to get some um, a lot of data and information about stuff that. We kind of already knew, but yeah, it's really probably. important to have it, yeah. um, because that then we can leverage it. Then we have evidence, and so, you know, I want this. I consider this in service of of bringing about a workplace that is conducive to fundraiser well being and success. Yeah, um, in the long term, the um, the survey. I want. Everyone who's been involved in fundraising, so this is not just frontline fundraisers. this is everyone involved in the fundraising enterprise. There's an option for you in this survey and what the first few questions to identify yourself and i I want whether you felt you've been bullied or not. If you are the happiest person, please take my survey because I don't want just the people who've been bullied to take it because then it won't really be the findings that we want. so I just encourage everyone to take ten minutes. Take the survey. It's all IRB approved through Purdue University. It's it's safe. It's anonymous. No one's going to send it to your boss and tell them all the ugly things that you said about them. <laughs> you the not one of the nice things about the survey is it really is using a scientifically defined, uh, bull. You know, kind of what bullying is, and so it's really helpful. It's not as simple as. Do you bully? You know, it's good. do you take any of these actions? Have you ever experienced this? And and that's where I think it could also give permission for people who may like we started the show. I thought it was just being punched in the face, you know, by yeah. the swings. Yeah. Um. They may say, you know, I've been unhappy, but I didn't realize that was bullying. And now that I see that, I think I think this has happened to me too.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah, this, this is pretty deep stuff. Um, Catherine, when you reached out, I was delighted to get you on the schedule. We're going to fast that, this fast track this and get this up on the air in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to put some information in the show notes so people can find you, Catherine. Um, certainly been a pleasure. You're always welcome back.
2: Thank you so much. And thank you so much for letting these topics come into your podcast and for for elevating them. So I'm so grateful for that.